0: You are listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Avrom and I hope you enjoy this episode. There, when a couple gets married, regardless of whether it's the first or second marriage, when a couple gets married, so there are a lot of and there are numerous financial agreements which exist between the uh, the couple. I hate to go ahead and break down a loving marriage into something which is dollars and cents, but. Uh, marriage is broken down into dollars and cents, or can't be broken down into dollars and cents. So the things which are going to be significant to us, the uh, the issues which would uh, which commonly arise, certainly by second marriage, marriages, it, are, are the following. So one halacha that you need to bear in mind is that the husband um, is going to go ahead and he inherits his wife's property if the wife predeceases her husband. So he inherits her property. So what could happen is in the, in the second marriage is the wife, let's say she was widowed. So she has a number of children, number of children grew up in the, uh, in the house. They, uh, you know, her, the, the children's parents have been living, had lived there 40 years or so, something like that. And now the, uh, the father passes away. The mother is living in the house. She wants to go ahead and get remarried. So there's a risk, according to Halacha, that if she then predeceases her second husband, the second husband inherits the house and the children get nothing. So you can imagine the children are gonna be none too happy about hearing the, the possibility that uh, the house that they grew up in is gonna end up by their stepfather. And then after their stepfather passes away, it ends up going to their step siblings. So they are not going to be too happy about uh, that type of uh, arrangement. And they don't want that to, uh, to take place. On the flip side of things, the other uh, end of the, uh, the, uh, the equation, um so and therefore there may be an interest i should say in the uh, in making arrangements that the husband should not that he's going to say listen we're going to get married and i agree i'm not going to inherit your property your stuff will be yours my stuff will be mine and we'll just uh, we'll just leave it at that so what is is it possible to go ahead and make such an arrangement and then a second scenario which is important is that one of the halakhas is that uh, certain property which the wife brings into the marriage—if you remember, we talked about that—that that was called nichse malug. So that property she retains title; the wife retains title to that. But the husband has the right to payros. He has the right to, or literally, mean the produce, but he has the right to the profits from uh, from that. So let's say the woman entering the marriage owns a bunch of real estate, a bunch of residential buildings with uh, many units. So the rent, the earnings, the net. Which uh, is earned off of those uh, rental units, so that's considered to be payros, and uh, the husband would have the ha- uh, halachic right to go ahead and take all of that, uh, all of that, uh, all of that profit. And obviously, she's not going to be too happy uh, about that. That could end up being uh, lots of money that uh, that she would forego, and he may have certain things which uh, he doesn't want his wife to be able to uh, to take. So there's agreements which go both ways, and the question is, is it possible? To go ahead and sign some sort of prenuptial agreement whereby both parties understand and commit and say that we are going to, the assets which I bring in remain mine, the assets which you bring in uh, are yours, and we're not going to commingle those uh, those, uh, those assets, our, our previously owned assets uh, at all. Like the Mishnah in, uh, in Perkevos, shali shali v'shalach <laughs> shalach, we're just going to go ahead and we're going to leave it uh, as that that's not what the mission is referring to but that's essentially what uh, in in many cases uh, at a second marriage that's what they would uh, like to arrange okay so let's see what uh, what is an option and was is not an option so here we go uh, i didn't number the the paragraphs but over here so the first one is Ebenezer Simon Sadi base so we start over here so hisna imashalo yurasena the husband goes out and makes a stipulation that he's not Going to inherit her property, so harezel So as long as he agrees not to inherit her stuff, so that halacha is binding. But in the event if he didn't specify, so in the event that she owns property, so he would have the right in the case that we gave to collect the rent from the rental units which which she owns from the uh, the, the, the 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 Airbnb houses which she owns. V'chein im Mash below now this is something which uh, could also be relevant by uh, a little bit more relevant by a first marriage when the kala's father goes ahead and gives her, let's say, an apartment in Yushalayim. She's moving to Yushalayim. She's there, they're going to be uh, studying or whatever in Yushalayim, but it's really the father is the one who buys the apartment. So the father says, listen, I'm not so sure I trust that, uh, that, that new son-in-law of mine, so I want to go ahead and make a stipulation that in the event that um, that, she, that, that she dies without children, that the property is going to go back to her father. We don't want it to go to his family. We want it to stay in our family. This is our family uh, property. And I don't want to go ahead and let it go to another family. So, Hakokai. So, we say that any stipulation of that sort about the Yerusha or where property is going to go, all such stipulations are binding. Now, here you have, and this is what uh, had to be coming at some point, now we have this major qualification. In English, we would say, but in, uh, in Lashon Kodesh and Lumdesha terminology, we say, Bamed When is the above true that they could make a stipulation not to inherit the property? Shehisne ima kodem arusa. It only works in the event that that stipulation or the agreement is made before Nisuin. That means before the shev brachos, which are said under the chuppah, or the chuppah, or the yichud, arusa, while she is technically in arusa. not just that they're engaged, but this is after he gave her the ring and said, Moshe So if in between the time, this is now, you have to go back in your, in your head, to uh, to uh, to which you go to. So how much time is there in between the time that the chasson says and the end of the shevros? So if we're lucky and the rabbi doesn't speak, so this is going to be all in the uh, the person reading the ksuva knows how to read it quickly. So this is going to be all of maybe five to ten minutes. So we're saying that the normal, and by a second marriage, certainly it's going to be even a shorter period, a, a shorter gap of time. So Shulchan says the only t- the only window of time in which such a stipulation, these types of stipulations could be made, is in between halachic and the end of the shev before they go ahead and break the glass. Or they could go ahead and they could write it up into the k'suva at the time that they're going ahead and they're getting married, which would also have to be incorporated into the language which the person's going to read. So but in the event that they make the stipulation after they're already married, it's now a battle. So then the stipulation does not work. And since the, the stipulation is invalid, the husband is going to um, inherit her property nonetheless. So here we have this major thing which is going on. One second, Alan. So we have this ma- we have this important stipulation which, for many couples, is essential because they don't want to run into financial problems later on, and they certainly don't want to create machlokus uh, later on. They want to make all of this clear. But right now, from Shocharuch, the only gap in time that we have to be able to make such a stipulation is post arosin, before nesuin. Just that small gap in time. Yes, Ellen.
1: So oh, it. Yeah. Say the the in the situation with the apartment in Jerusalem that was given by the father of the bride, is that something that the husband also has to agree agree with? The stipulations do they have to be agreed with by both parties?
0: Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. these these are all uh, we're not we're not looking at this in terms of Shalom bias issues. Uh, Clearly at this point, uh, you know Shalom bias is uh, actually for this one I, I shouldn't say that. This is something that everybody's just trying to protect their financial interests. You know They, they, they watched uh, Mrs. Bezos uh, uh, Mrs. Bezos, was that, who walked away with how many billion? Many. many. They, they watched her walk away with, uh, you know, with half of his fortune and as a result of that, that makes everybody nervous that, hey, wait a minute, if I'm making all this money either one, if I'm making all this money and the other one's going to get some of that, if the relationship breaks down or somebody predeceases the other, so that makes a lot of people very nervous.
1: So um, in terms of the apartment in Jerusalem, it doesn't appear from this that the tonight is going to work. It says, it that, that doesn't say anything about it tonight to the contrary.
0: Right. So uh, for, for the for the sake of trying to get all this done in 45 minutes. So you see, I started, I, I quoted over here, Steve Zion. So if you want to see all the different stipulations about these types of things, so you have to see Cifalif, Cifay, Cifgimel, Cifdalif, All
1: right, but they can basically stipulate anything.
0: Um, they could try, but you need to, as we're going to see, so they need to do it, they need to use correct language. Language is going to be very important. And they need, the, the more. What, what our purpose is tonight, is that they need to make sure they do, do it timing-wise correctly. Now, obviously, nobody yeah. wants to interrupt the, the, uh, the chuppah in the middle to go ahead and take out this prenuptial agreement and have them sign. Now it is good for if you need uh, more kibudim. So now, in addition to tanayim and signing the k'suv and all that in the shabachos, now you have two people who are signing the uh, the prenup. So uh, you know, and, and you could read that out loud also. I guess if they if they want to go ahead and they want to re- they want to read that, but it's something which would certainly be a little bit awkward to go ahead and to uh, to stop the chassan in the middle to go ahead and sign this prenup in between the kiddushin and the uh, and the nisuin. Now. Well, i uh,
1: i uh, 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 i thought any financial transactions uh, you know a, a star helps in case you need proof but but I- if it's a if it's a verbal agreement it's also valid right so
0: th- th- that's true so that was so excellent so now let's see the next source over here this base shmuel. so why does why does such an agreement not work once they're already married once it's already post nesuin he cannot go ahead and say that uh uh, that, uh, that I'm not going to Yarshan anymore. Why can't he uh, just uh, say, you know, I, I, I relinquish my rights. I forego my rights. and why wouldn't that be binding? So the, the Beishmul explains, and this is just based on the Gemara, but he says, lirush, Because at that point, once it already after Nesuin, he already is an heir. Halachically, he has that status. And to go ahead and try and relinquish his rights at that point, it's an interesting perspective, which we say, it's like a son saying, I'm not going to go ahead. I'm relinquishing my rights to inherit my father's property. But you can't do that. So you're already a son. The Torah already assigns the son those rights. And therefore, that Yerusha is something which is going to happen automatically. You can gift it away afterwards. But the halacha that the son is going to yarshin his father. That's an automatic halacha. And that's not something that you could renounce uh, just by itself. And in such a case, just making a declaration that I'm, I don't want to inherit the property, it doesn't make a difference. It's ineffective because it's just words against something which is uh, reality is that you are a Yorish. And now he says, now, okay, if I can't do it verbally, so let's do like we do with the sale of chametz, make a kinyan with the rabbi or something, lift up a pen or a kerchief and go ahead and make it the agreement effective in that way. So to that, the Beishmul says, He says that you can't make a kinyan on that because a kinyan only works, as we've talked about before. You can only make a kinyan on something which already exists in your possession. And being that you didn't inhe- the son did not inherit his father's property yet, he can't go ahead and make a Kenyan to give it away or to do anything with it, because it's not his yet. So he's stuck between a rock and a hard place. He can't, it's too late to relinquish his rights, but he can't go ahead and give it away because he doesn't actually have it yet. And therefore says the Beis Shmuel, Same thing is going, to be do, is going to be true. The same parameters are going to be true when we discuss the husband's right to inherit his wife's property. Also, asa acher v'hu and even if, let's just put it in our, our 21st century uh, you know, Western ideas, even if she were to go ahead and write a last will and testament, gifting away or bequeathing her property to another person, and the husband signs on that saying, yes, I agree that the, all of her assets are going to go to save the whales, so it's completely ineffective. It doesn't work anyways, because once he's a Yorish, so he's not going to be able to go ahead and relinquish his rights. So this explains, the Beishmul explains why post-Nesuin, it's already too late for the husband to say, I'm not going to Yarshan, I'm not going to benefit from your property, it's going to stay in your family, and you don't need to worry about it at all. At that point, it's too late. So now, the question is, which is really what all of us would, would do, is, why can't we do this when they get engaged before he says, Haramakudash asleep? Now, legally, that's when everybody would do it. They would do it before the marriage actually takes place, have all the documentation in place. And that way, when the marriage actually takes effect, it takes effect in a sense, with these conditions in place saying that, uh, that he's not going to be a yorushit. he's already relinquished those rights. So why can't he relinquish his rights in advance? Afterwards, it's too late, but why not do it in advance? So he said, so, so for that, we say that the reason why you cannot go ahead and do that, actually, I didn't even include this over here, the reason why you can't go ahead and do that is because before Arison, so it's not his. You can't, re- you can't relinquish something, which is in that case, the, all of the rights to inherit her property or to be able to get the profit from her property. So that doesn't exist for him in any halachic sense whatsoever. And being that it doesn't exist yet, it's not a right yet which he owns, so you, you can't go ahead and relinquish something which is not yet yours. So if you do it too early, the problem is that it's not yours to give away, it's not yours to deny because you have nothing. If you wait till afternoon soon, it's too late because it's already in your possession. And the only, so the only window in time, the only gap in time in which this is going to be effective is post-Arison where it's almost there, the rights are almost there, but it's not too late that, uh, that you already have it uh, fully. So that's For going example? to be the the, the, the the time frame which uh, in which it's going to have to take place. Yes, Bob?
1: Suppose somebody did do that uh, uh, at the time of engagement, and, and they did it in a way with uh, civil lawyers so that it would be binding in a US court. Uh, do we say Dina de to Dina, or do we say it doesn't matter because uh, uh, the uh, he doesn't have the status or they don't have the status uh, before uh, Kedushin.
0: Um, so I, I don't think Dina de Machus is, is going to override over here. Uh, it may very well be. It depends on which opinion that you follow. But it may be that the husband Yarshin his wife's property is a Doraisa, something which may come from the Torah. And as such, Dina de Machus is not going to be able to override something which is Doraisa. But we'll have we'll, we'll we'll have that idea expressed uh, somewhat in, in in a little bit, okay. So on the page of Shulchan Aruch here, so the Piskei Shuva, so he goes ahead and he raises the question, which is the fact that uh, everybody here undoubtedly knows of couples who have gotten married and they signed such documentation before the kiddushin actually took place, because that's what people do. People do that, uh, you know, sort of kisayit, or they do that as a regular uh, course, just because it makes everything much easier between the uh, between the couple certainly in a second marriage so peace so the Yeshua's yakov expresses surprise at the common practice which is that they write this 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 phrase is what we would translate as a prenuptial agreement so it's a starth documentation of siluk, of, of removing yourself from your rights, relinquishing your rights, foregoing your rights, uh, renouncing your rights, probably is best. After shiduchin and after they get quote unquote engaged, code of nisuin, but before they're married. And the reason why is that now back in the time of Chazal, if you remember, so Kedushin would take place on one day, and the nesuin could be as much as a year later. So there's a lot of time in between, back in the time of Chazal, there was a lot of time in between the Kedushin and the actual nisuin to go ahead and get this documentation done. It's not like you have a five or 10 minute window. So back in the time of Chazal, so it wouldn't have been so, uh, so difficult to go ahead and pull that off. But he says, But nowadays, we do the both ceremonies, we do it once. And therefore, now we're going to run into a problem because Kodim Nesuin, Kodim Eresin, because before they're married is generally going to be before there is and before they're halachically betrothed. And as we saw in Shulchan Aruch, at that early stage where they're engaged, but it's before Kedushan, so then re- renouncing your rights isn't going to be effective at that point. It's too early in the game to go ahead and renounce those rights, like the Rama rights. And he says, he writes, So he suggests, maybe, a justification for the practice. Um, But he concludes He says, in the event that a couple comes with such a documentation in place, he makes a pshara, that he's going to go ahead and uh, find some sort of, uh, mediate or negotiate some sort of uh, uh, compromise between the two parties. And because it's not clear how exactly this should work. Should we disregard it altogether because it was too early? Should we honor it entirely because of what we know their intent is? So being that it's not clear what we should do, and we don't really have a good justification. So therefore, he makes a pshara in that case. But clearly, this is going to be an issue. This is an issue going back to the time of the Pishrei according to Shus Yaakov. This is something which goes back pretty far. So how are we going to go ahead and, uh, and make these, uh, uh, can, can this be done? Okay, so the last part that we're going to have from Shulchan Aruch over here is the Avnei Meluyim. The Avnei Miluyim is the same author as the Kitzos. So when we're doing Choshe Mishpat, so we're going to discuss the Kitzos. When we're doing Eben Ezer, so you have the Avnei Meluyim. And he goes at and he expresses, he has the same question. He says, He says, He says, Nowadays, that we are, it's, Common practice is to do the Kedushin in the Nisuin all together in one shot at one time. So it's not going to help to go ahead and to sign this prenuptial agreement, the Kodama Kedushin Lomani Silum. Because if you do it before the Kedushin, it's ineffective because it's not yours yet. You can't renounce something you don't have. And then once it's after the Kodushin, so it's already post Nisuin, and it's too late to go ahead and renounce your rights because you already have them fully but feel of a Kenyan, even if you tried to use a Kenyan of sorts it's not going to work and therefore uh, how exactly are we going to number 1 how can we justify those who have already done it and is there some is there a way that we could feel comfortable moving forward telling people that they could if they follow this procedure it's going to be effective
1: i mean it just seems to me that if 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 there was a moment in time when it was valid and during that moment in time they both had in mind that that's what they want shouldn't that be enough i mean
0: meaning if they made the agreement ahead of time and then they never renounced that agreement. Right, and and
1: and now the, now the Yerusin takes place and now it's okay and they both still have the same intention. What, 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 what would the problem be?
0: Okay, good. So we're going to see a chazanish about that shortly. So uh, ho- hold off on that. Very good. So he says... Um, Um, for the sake of time, he says. Okay, let's read over here. He says um, after uh, presenting what uh, some other approaches of some of the other Achronim, he says. He says, but the, the problem that we're going to run into, with well, one of these uh, the the uh, the earlier achron, the one of the things that we're going to run into is there may be other rishonim who uh, uh, uh who according to whom we may be able to justify this, but the fact that you could find rishonim that you could use to justify this doesn't really help because we pass them like the Ramah right, when it comes to distilling through the different Rishonim, which are out there, once the Ramah says, I'm going to follow such and such an opinion, so that becomes pretty authoritative, and it's difficult to go say that I'm going to in differently than the Ramah. And he says that, but maybe what happens is that the Kavan, the Kvar um Ikodem Lismach Ashtar Siluk Shanasu Eirusin, being that, everybody assumes that if you write such a prenuptial agreement, even before the Eirusin, that it's effective based on those who originally enacted it, who may have, uh, this practice may have already been in place before the Ramah wrote the Ramah. So there may be a, a, a practice which was rooted in Rishonim, which although the Ramah didn't, uh, didn't agree with it, but there may be uh, communities which continue to do so because their practice or their, their custom in this regard, their approach in this regard, existed before the Ramah. So therefore, they have what to rely on. So he says, okay, therefore, or, Maybe this is going to be one of those cases where there's a phrase which we use, minug mevat that even though the halacha may, may say that we Pascha like this opinion, if common practice is to follow a different opinion, so the minag is going to override that. So even though generally we don't like to go against the Ramah, where everybody's behaving differently than the Ramah, so we're going to say, (inaudible) this amazing thing which we say, but in Chosh we say these types of things, (inaudible) even though it's actually not halakhically uh, justified, because the Ramah says, we don't possibly like that opinion. But he says, (inaudible) he says, for this reason, he says, being that, there's a lot to question. There's a lot of uh, 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 grounds to question the validity of such an agreement which is made before a resid So for that reason, he says, So for that reason, he says, he says, what we do is, is we write into the language that the Hassan went ahead and accepted upon himself. When he renounced his rights, he did so with the severity of cheirem chamar, that if he violates it, he's going to be excommunicated. And with the weight of a shavu adarais, as if he took an oath, he, he, he committed himself with an oath, like we talked about last week. He made an oath saying that he's going to follow through on his word and he's not going to, uh, to Yarshen. he's not going to inherit. And we add that in there just to give a little bit more halachic justification to what he is doing. Okay, but that is, let's, uh, but that's, uh, that, that's how it's going to, that's how the Avnim William suggests it may work according to the Avodah Sagir Shuni. But there's a lot of reasons why the Achronim are not very happy with this. Uh, primary of them is, is that it would be very strange that there should be a minute which goes against the, uh, the Ramah. Okay, so this, is, this issue is there's a, a journal. Called Hayashav And this is from, as you see, Chelik uh, Zion, uh, the Simen Chaf, or Sheilo over there. So he says, there, so we're going to read the, the, the rest of what we have over here in terms of the source, they're going to be from this, uh, this particular journal. It was just easier to take it than pulling out the, uh, the sources in the, uh, the original. So he says, um, um, He says, And I can't highlight it as we go along, so I just have to try and follow the, uh, the mouse. But he says that the words of the Shunik bir needs an explanation. The of the Tarot, the Gam'ana Naktina kidas Ramah, that it, based on what he said, that really we paskin like the Ramah, we call Mako Mahani Mitzad but Kamen Minag is going to override that halacha, even though it's not halachically so, heicha מצinu he says, where do we find such a thing? Where do we find precedent to say that we're going to, have a, we're going to uh, uh, justify a custom which goes against the Ramah's clear psaq? Because, because the whole reason why we say that renouncing your rights before Erosin, before you get to uh, to Kedushin, doesn't work is is because you can't renounce something which doesn't exist yet. So it's one thing to say that there's a minog which, uh, which, uh, which is different. But over here, it's not as so much that there's a halacha that the minug is going to override a particular preference in halacha. The halacha is rooted in the fact that it cannot work. The mechanics don't work. So how can you have a minug which makes mechanics that don't work, work? That doesn't that, 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 that there's no such thing to go ahead and create a working mechanical item if the components don't work with one another. And therefore, it should therefore there's no reason that, that we should be able to say we should be able to invoke this idea of minag mavato halacha because this is a mechanical issue, not a halachic issue. And then he says, a little bit closer to what you were talking about, Bob, he says, Will I come also are minog Maybe what we mean is, is that the common practice to do so is going to be like the Kenyan situmta, the Kenyan which is common practice amongst, uh, amongst merchants, which allows Kenyan in which the Torah doesn't necessarily recognize, but they become binding because that's what, uh, that's what the people in the industry do. So maybe in this industry of marriage, so people will go ahead and they'll make such an agreement uh, called a prenuptial agreement. But he says, first of all, If you read the Avodos HaGershuni inside, his language just certainly doesn't sound like that's what's going. And then he says, Ode, which is skipping ahead. Ode, he says, now at the top of the, of the over here. He says, this idea of situmta which, which validates a Kenyan, that only works when there is an industry which is going to recognize that means of acquisition. Like in the diamond industry, saying mazalubracha. So in the diamond industry, that's recognized as a binding agreement. OK, good. The But when it comes to marriages, lo matzinu shenogwa where do you find that merchants will go ahead and have such an agreement where we can say, well, this is common practice in this industry, and therefore, it's binding. There's no such, a, there's no such, a, it, it's not applicable when we're talking about Evan and Ezra in this way, to say that there's going to be such a Kenyan. And then he says, on top of which, there are many uh, posting who disagree with it. Um, um, okay, we'll put that aside. So he says, so how are we going to go ahead and justify this? So he says, he's going to present two justifications. He says, Uh, So he says we can base this on what was quoted in the name of the Chasam Sofa, the Minog. Where the husband is going to renounce his rights even before Erison. Why? He says back in the day, now this is also something which we're not so, so familiar with, because we are 21st century, 20 and 21st century uh, uh, people, and we're not Hasidim. So, but back in the day, uh, the way that they, that couples and by Hasidim they still do it. The way that they formalize their engagement is what the Tanayim. We do the Tanayim also at the at the wedding. We start off with the Tanayim, then we do the kedushin, and then we do the uh, the nisuin. But back in the day, when the couple would get quote unquote engaged they would actually sign a tenayim agreement, which is a commitment that they're going to go ahead and get married eventually. And that tenayim, they were bound by the parameters, whatever was listed in the, in the tanaim, in terms of how much each of the fathers are committing to give the couple to get them, uh, to get them going, to get their, uh, their marriage started. So such a tenayim, so each party accepts upon themselves with a cheyrim, a ban, an excommunication if they violate it, Ube knast, and there's also there's going to be a financial penalty in the event that one violates that as well. So therefore being that once they get engaged and they have a tanayim in place so that means that once a tanayim is signed and they're engaged nobody is allowed to simply back out and change their mind. doesn't work. So once they're already uh, in some way bound to carry out, to go forward with the uh, the marriage so So the Sam sofer says, we could consider this as if it's already post-Eyerson. The whole reason why you can't go that normally before Eyerson, it doesn't work to renounce your rights is only because if you want it, it's not yours. You have no rights to it. And if you want, it, you could just walk away from the, from the commitment in the, in the first place anyways. So being that you could just walk away from it, how could you renounce something which you're so distant from where you're not bound in any way, shape, or form to, to, to follow through? But once we say that with a tanayim and with this chayrim, this excommunicate the threat of an excommunication and the knas and the penalty that you can't just walk away, so that already brings them close enough that he could renounce his rights at that point. <laughs> The very fact that neither one is going to be able to just walk away from this agreement without excommunication or a penalty mm-hmm. that already gives him a little bit of a grasp he 's already just about there having those rights enough of those rights or he 's close enough to those rights where it would make sense that he could renounce them the. And that already is enough to say that he's going to be able to renounce those rights. Okay. So he says, so that's what they they say from the Chassam Sofer. And, And then he says over here, right by this line, he says, He says, it's logical that the same thing is going to hold true nowadays even though ar doesn't have any such language which says that if somebody backs out, they're going to be excommunicated. <inaudible> as long as there's going to be even just a financial penalty for backing out, that already is enough. And then he goes, that he supports this from other sources, but a, a difficulty may be the fact that ar the way we Ashkenazim do it, uh, without a chair or without any sort of financial penalty, so that may also be uh, it, that may not be a hundred percent reliable as a means of relinquishing rights. so now we get to what uh, uh, what, uh, what Arthur had mentioned. He says, who the He says another way to go ahead and justify this is based on the Chazanish. So now the Chazanish offers a novel interpretation of the Ramah. And he says, when there when the are my rights that you cannot renounce your rights before kadushid. Hakavana, the intention is Rak shlo mahani Siluk shlô yucha kodem erisin. What that means is if the husband agrees to renounce his rights, so he's not bound by that yet, and he could change his mind as long as they're not yet engaged. So they get engaged in June. The wedding is going to be in October. So in June, after after they're, they're, uh, quote, unquote, engaged, he says, you know what, I'm going to renounce my rights. So anywhere between June and October, he could say, you know what, I changed my mind, and I want to invoke those rights. I want to restore those rights. So being that they're not yet engaged, he has the ability to change his mind and restore those rights. So that's what the Ramah means, where he says that if you renounce your rights, it doesn't work. It doesn't work because you could still change your mind but in the event that he renounces his rights before erison, and he never changed his mind, and then they get engaged. He says, and nobody went ahead and changed their mind yet. Exactly as you said, Art. So it turns out that the Erosin is being done under those conditions, which he said back in June. Because since nobody changed their mind, nobody said anything to the contrary, so we assume that that agreement which they had continues all the way through the Arison. and now that look, that renouncement, is applicable, is now kicking in at that point. V'chal has siluk, b'sha'asa and therefore it's going to be effective, even b'sha'asa Erosin, even at the time of it, or it will kick in formally and irrevocably at that point, during the, the, uh, the small window in time between the Kedushin and the Nisuin, that it's uh, finally going to uh, take full effect, and uh, they won't be able to retract. So based on that, based on that Chazanish, that approach, that's another way that we could go ahead and we could justify it. The problem with the Chazanish is the Chazanish himself, in the next paragraph, goes and acknowledges that achronim disagree with this idea. So, although it seems logical to him that that would hold true, uh, being that many authorities go ahead and disagree with that, so uh, it may be a little bit difficult to go ahead and rely upon. So, what are we going to do, Lamaisa? So, here he writes, He says, In the event that they actually want to make sure to get all this paperwork and all the agreements done before anybody says, so he says, Gam says we can rely on the majority of posts who say it will be effective after they're engaged, who can now, like we said, Im in the event that they went ahead and they put a financial penalty in place if either party decides to back out of the engagement. So as long as you have that in place, Then he says, you have rove poskim, you have the majority of poskim who say that such a thing is going to be, uh, uh, such a renouncement is going to be effective. But now he says, Uli says, let's say, but if you want to have an even more reliable approach, which is going to satisfy all opinions, that nobody should be able to say, listen, uh, I claim that I have the rights to it. And if you're trying to take it away from me, so the burden of proof is on you. And which is our problem. And also another solution in the event that you get engaged and the tanaim doesn't have any sort of excommunication or financial penalty for somebody who backs out of the engagement. So what are we going to do for our purposes? So So for this, what we suggested is what you have to do is you have to make an agreement, an, an obligation, create a fictitious debt in accordance with what's called the Chachmei Sfard, the Sfardi, the uh, Spanish Chacham. So what does that mean? So what they're going to do is that the husband goes ahead and he declares verbally or he writes up a declaration saying, I'm renouncing my rights to inherit my wife's property. That's part one. Now, part two is, he says, The husband goes that in paragraph number two, the husband says, I hereby admit, with all of the validity and all of the power vested in me and based in and all sorts of things, that I owe my wife an amount equal to her assets. So if she has a, a half a million dollars of assets, he'll admit that debt. If she has a million dollars of assets, he'll admit to that. But he, he makes an admission saying, I owe the amount of what her assets are worth, or perhaps even more than that, just to make sure. Now, if he's creating this fictitious debt, so when does the debt have to be paid? za chov. Zei That debt be is due. As soon as the husband re, uh, 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 reneges on his agreement to go ahead and to renounce his rights. So if he ever renounces his rights, he's now admitting that he owes her half a million dollars, a million dollars, two million dollars. <inaudible> so as soon as he renounces his uh, his relinquishment, as soon as he uh, sorry, as soon as he reneges on his renouncement of her rights, and he says, you know what? I insist that I'm going to go ahead and inherit my wife's property. As soon as he files that motion, that triggers the $2 million debt, which he owes to her. And even if she's not alive anymore, she passed away because he's trying to yarshan. So that money, that debt is now going to be owed to her heirs. Not him, but it's going to be owed to her heirs, whoever it, you know she, she designates. So then if he goes out and tries to cross her on this and actually inherit her property, it triggers a enormous debt. Which makes it not in his financial interest. You make the debt high enough that it's not worth it for him financially to try, to renounce the, that, to, uh, to renege on that renouncement. And then, but in the event that he actually honors his renouncement of the Yerusha, and he doesn't try and pursue any of the rights of his wife's property, or her so that is going to, that will. Uh, re- release him, that will relieve him of that uh, that debt. And that's a mechanism which we use in all sorts of agreements, if you if you remember, if, uh, if you've ever heard me talk about it. That's what we use when it comes to, let's say, a, uh, uh, a non-compete agreement, or a non- uh, uh, disclo- non-compete really, a non-compete agreement in order to give it halachic validity, we also come up with a similar type of thing of this chachme svar, this chachme svar, where you admit to a debt, and the debt will be forgiven if you do what you say you're going to do. But in the event that you don't do what you say you're going to do, then the debt is going to kick in. And that debt is going to be so great that it serves as a strong disincentive to go against what your, uh, your original agreement was. And that would be the best way that they, they, they write. And they have on the next page actually have the whole list of, of the... Uh, of- the language which would which would be used and it's much more thorough as you mentioned at the beginning art in terms of the peros and peros perosay and all of those uh, all of those various things but they have a very thorough nussa, uh to make sure that it should be something which is acceptable and honored by all parties and nothing that somebody should be able to undermine by claiming that it's not uh, halachically uh, valid but it's something which is uh, which is important uh, because what uh, in our experience what has happened is is that people don't think about this ahead of time. And then after they're married, and then suddenly the, uh, the, uh, the issue about the commingling of assets and that nobody really wants to do that in the first place anyways, arises. So one, if they don't realize so after they're already married, it's too late to do anything. The whole uh, discussion over here, being able to do something, is how to be able to do it even before the formal caddushin. But nobody has a solution really for post nisuin. To go ahead and start relinquishing those rights, that is going to be uh, that's going to be very difficult to go ahead and uh, be able to uh, to justify. Alrighty, thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.